Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I am your host and joining me for the week before Christmas episode of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Mel. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, Davey. Is Christmas your favorite holiday? It's definitely up there. I love it. It by far has to be my favorite holiday. By really? far. No contest. I start listening to Christmas music November 1st uh, on Thanksgiving Day. I say, Jesus, I am thankful for salvation and for Christmas. That is awesome. So what do you love about <laughs> Christmas so much? It's just the festivity, you know, it's, there's like a, yeah. there's like a mystique or an aura about it, you know, yeah, and it's magical. It is magical. And it is really the only way that we can endure the Midwest winter. Seriously. <laughs> Once I think that's Christmas what makes over, January and February so bleak and depressing yes. in the Midwest. <laughs> it's like, oh man, like it's not the same putting a fireplace in, you know, cause there's no stockings now and it's not, it just doesn't quite fit, but I love Christmas. I hear you. That's real. So Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to our listeners. We've got an awesome interview for you today with Ginger Sprouse. I'm telling you, this is a story unlike you've probably ever heard. I mean, it is. Seriously. I was shocked when we heard about this and I was like, absolutely, we need to have her on the podcast because I have got to find out how in the world all this flushed out. How did this happen? What happened? This is incredible. Because Mel, I think the thing I was most fascinated about her story is that she did something that actually kind of the group, the circle of friends that, that we kind of roll with and some of the, the teaching pastors at the church that I'm teaching at, we've been talking about this concept of willingly and volitionally inviting chaos into your life. Hmm. Like so often we think about how do I remove chaos from my life, right? How do I like kind of get peace, so to speak, and declutter and, you know, try to, try to get, you know, the confusion and chaos kind of out, so that I can walk through things, you know, clear headed and with, but she willingly invited chaos, willingly invited trial, willingly invited hardship into and her uncertainty. life. And uncertainty. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I'm excited for these listeners to hear her story because what she did was so Christ-like. I mean, mm -hmm. she saw somebody that um, needed help and she put her joy in his joy. And because of that, um, she took a man's life who um, was desolate and empty and homeless. Mm -hmm. And she gave him physical, emotional, and mental health. Um, yeah. And he's prospering. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't want to give away too much, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know, but it's so, so exciting. And it fits so well with the theme because, I mean, after all, isn't this kind of what Mary and Joseph did? Like... You sure think about is. think about what you would be like. How would you feel if you know the, the angel Gabriel comes to you and says, "Hey, Mel, you're gonna carry the Messiah, and here's everything that that's gonna entail. Like, you're you're literally gonna you're gonna be ostracized from your community because they're not gonna believe you that the Holy Spirit that you were conceived by the Holy Spirit. Like, so there's gonna be all this contention and controversy around even your pregnancy and your marriage and all of that. And by the way, you're gonna be hunted after, you're gonna have to escape to Egypt. And by the way, you're gonna watch this boy grow up and develop and then you're gonna watch him go to the cross. Hmm. Like, can you imagine what Mary was thinking and feeling right there? You know, no, not and, at all. The, and, and then she willingly goes, you know what? Yeah. Like I'll invite that kind of chaos into my life. She uh, said yes to a whopping dose of chaos. Yes, she into did. Her life. Yes, she did. And so I just wonder like, maybe, maybe that's a challenge that each one of us need to kind of take on and think about through this holiday season is what would it look like for you to invite certain levels of chaos into your life for the benefit of other people? What would it yeah. look like to, to minister to people in that way? Well, it, this just, I thought of this as you were saying that something that we do at our church is we have something called open table and uh, people sign mm. up in our church to host people that don't have anywhere to go to the holidays or um, to sign up to go to a house if they don't have anywhere to go to the holidays. And it's just so that people can get to know each other to, so they're not alone, so they can um, eat at 
yummy meal. And um, I just, I love it because it's provided friendships and um, yeah, really sweet relationships from it. Well, some of you might be thinking you're like driving on your way to visit family and you're like, well, I don't have to invite chaos. I'm about to drive into chaos. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I say, I do say that kind of jokingly, but honestly, that's not, I mean, for some people, that's a very serious matter. Like your, that's your situation. It is a it's going to be a difficult thing for you to walk into this, but I wonder how your perspective might shift if you think about the fact that, you know, that Jesus willingly bore the cross for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And, and how might you change the climate of your family get together by having a different perspective as you step into that and, and being willing to step into some, you know, awkward, you know, situations and some tense climates uh, to, to be able to show people Christ in these yeah. situations. Well, it, this conversation with uh, Ginger really reminds me of Proverbs 14.4, where it says, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength hmm. of an ox come abundant harvest. And um, Wow. I love that. Ver- Mel, can you like explain that verse a little bit to us? Because that is like such a rich metaphor right there. It really is. Well, I and I think it goes back into that whole concept of um, if I had a manger that had no ox in it, it would not smell bad there. It would mm-hmm. be very clean, um, but it would be lonely and it would be empty and it, it and it wouldn't uh, be able to, I wouldn't have my ox to probably have a income, a living, you right. know? And so um, I, I need those ox. I want those ox, but those ox make my life a little bit more challenging. You know, yeah. they make it hard but they also make it so good. And so kind of like what the latter part of the verse says is that um, they produce abundant harvest. And, That's right. And um, I, I think one thing that Ginger really prompted me to do, and I think that as you're listening to her story, I really implore you to be sensitive to the spirit. But who is your neighbor? Um, who is God put hmm. in your life? Who is um, Who could he put in your life? Um, how could he use you if we just had the eyes like Ginger did? Yeah. I mean, so basically, I mean, even what the verse is saying is you can either wall yourself off, pretty up your life, you know, remove yourself from, from anybody that's hurting or that's broken or that would be messy in your life. Um, or you can bear fruit Yes. or you can, or you can have a, a, a harvest, an abundant harvest that, yeah, maybe it takes kind of getting in the mess a little bit, um, or a lot of bit in this case. But there's so much joy and fulfillment that you would otherwise not be able to experience if you tidy up your life the way that so often we try to do. It's just, this is, this is incredible. You got to listen to this interview. It's incredible, incredible story. While you're listening to this right now, in fact, pause, push pause, and go and visit our stories platform. This is fairly new. We opened this up so that we could hear more stories um, other than what we're releasing on the podcast and we want to hear your story. You can go and check out the stories that we have already released, nothingiswasted.com slash stories. And there at the bottom of that page, you can submit your story. We want to hear about your story of pain, of hardship, of trial, and how God has brought you through uh, your valley. And uh, we want to be able to share that with our Nothing Is Wasted community. So visit nothingiswasted.com slash stories. And lastly, um, we would appreciate it if you rate and review us. And we don't just want like the good stuff. We want like uh, any any feedback that you have for us. We're ready for it. We're here for it, aren't we, Davey? (laughs) Um, Sure. Sure. He's a little hesitant. (laughs) I'm a three. I don't, I like the affirmation. I don't like the- I'm the eight wing seven where it's like, hit me with everything you got, but mostly just make it good. Okay, people. Um, But no, seriously, rate and review us. Mention us on Instagram. We love, love, love to hear from you guys. Um, And so let's jump into Ginger's conversation with Davey. Ginger, so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I want our listeners to hear a little bit about your family. What's life like right now for you guys? Where do you live? What do you do? Uh, kind of break down present day Ginger Sprouse for present us. Day. <laughs> All right. Well, here I'll give you I'll give you my little twenty four hour snapshot. So okay. Um, twenty four hours ago, I was uh, my mother was here. She's seventy three years old, and we were wrangling and shearing sheep, and um, trimming hooves and vaccinating. 
and uh, what oh, we were um, picking up branches for the burn pile and fixing fences and uh, pressure washing. And yeah, so we're on a farm outside wow. of uh, Austin, Texas. And so uh, we've lived here for now about uh, eight months full time. And uh, yeah, life's a lot of work right now. <laughs> yeah, I bet on a farm. Is that something you guys, I mean, did you grow up on a farm? Is that something you've always wanted to do? I grew do, up on it? a farm. Okay. So it's somewhat familiar. No, I, I never wanted to do that. And my <laughs> father, my father, uh, found it found it hysterical that somehow I ended up back on a farm, and that's what I wanted to do because I always said I'm going to live in the city, Dad. I'm going to live. I'm going to live in a a, a a converted a converted loft, yep. you know, and uh, wear high heels in a business suit to work. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I was thinking last night when I was. Uh, wrestling sheep in the pen that that was very, very far from what I had imagined for myself. So there you go. <laughs> Ginger, I always look at my uh, podcast editor during times like this when I hear somebody that is living in a context in a setting like you, lives on a farm. And I'm like, hey, edit this out because I don't want my wife to hear this because she would be so inspired <laughs> about living on a farm. I'm such a city boy. I'm like, exactly like you. Let's go downtown. Let's live with it. She's like, we can't live downtown with the kids and all of this. She's like, let's go get land and have a farm. And I'm usually asking her, who's going to work the farm? She's like, uh, we I are. know, right? <laughs> Well, it's true. And it's just like now, you know, you don't think about things like I had a baby lamb that was an orphan and he has to be bottle fed every wow. three hours. So <laughs> there is no going away for the weekend no. or, you know, going going down to the river and spending that. I mean, I was like last time we we had friends going somewhere and I was like, I'm sorry, I have to stay home and feed the baby. They're oh, like, what man. baby? Like, yeah. That's so now I mean, they're cute. Yep. They're cute, but inconvenient. So it's you and your husband on this farm. You guys have kids. You, I mean, what's the, are they working the farm too? What's the scenario? No, actually I have a daughter right now. She's 21. She is living in Germany and wow. she is uh, about to graduate from college there. She's doing uh, environmental studies. And then my son is 19. He's also in college and he's back in Houston going to school. Cool. And, uh, yeah, so right now it's just us. I kind of don't know what to do with that. Then I start collecting animals. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That'll keep you busy problem. enough. <laughs> well, you you guys have a really fascinating story, and it seems like it's kind of in your nature to just take things into your home. Yeah. You just released this book uh, called Kind of Kinda Like Grace, and it's about the story of you guys taking an unlikely character into your home. Why don't you go back and talk to me a little bit about that? What, what happened? What transpired um, that caused you and inspired you to write this book? Well, you know, I, I grew up, I would say in a Christian home, you know, back in the olden days, back, back in the, uh, you know, the covered wagon era <laughs> used to churches would send around uh, church buses to pick up kids right. to go to church. Yeah. And so, uh, my father had grown up in the church. My mother did not. She was from Austria and that just wasn't part of her background. And so this man comes knocking at our door saying, um, I know you have a daughter that lives here. Would she like to come to church with us on the bus? And I'll never forget him. His name was Mr. Jack. And he would come every week and pick me up and carry me to the bus before seatbelts. And I got to sit in a little seat beside him. And um, I went to church with him for about a year. I was eight. And, um, I, I accepted Christ. I'll never forget. And I came home and told my parents, I want to get baptized tonight. And, uh, I got baptized and then my parents started coming to church and, you know, long story short, um, they ended up teaching Sunday school to little kids for 35 years and all of these wonderful things. So I grew up in a Christian home, I went to Christian high school, um, you know, married, had a family, uh, was very interested. I wanted to raise my kids in that, you know, we kind of lived on a farm like I do now. Yeah. And, you know, I had all these Laura Ingalls dreams in my head about mm -hmm. how it was supposed to look and <laughs> homeschooling and making everything from scratch. It just, man, I had this, I had like this checklist of things of what my life was supposed to look like. And, um, you know, I had this faith that, uh, I knew all the stuff I was supposed to do. I could quote you all the scriptures and what it was supposed to look like, but when it's in your head and not in your heart, Mm. Um, it doesn't translate well. Wow. And so um, I, and we can delve into it later if you want, but essentially I ended up leaving my family, left my kids and my husband and um, really walked away from the Lord 
and lived in a really dark place for about uh, three years. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, it was, it was ugly and bad and very hurtful. And, um, and just during this process, my favorite part of my story, what I tell people is it was just the still small voice of the Lord. I would lay in my bed in this, in this apartment with no one around just in such a bad place. And I would hear the Holy spirit just going, you know what you're supposed to do. You know mm-hmm. that you need to repent. You know, you need to come back to me. You know, the answer is in my word. And uh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that, that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a sermon. It wasn't a song. It wasn't a person. It was just God's spirit. Yeah. And so uh, just that wooing, that gentle right. um, forgiveness. And so I had, um, gotten to the point where I said, you know, I know that I have to come back. And I remember one morning I sat down at the table with the Bible open and I said, I know the answer is in here, but I've never had a desire for your word. I've never wanted to listen to it. I don't understand it. It seems boring. It's hard. It's long, all these things. I said, if you want me to understand it and read it, I'm, I promise I'll meet you here every day, but you're going to have to make me understand. And I mm. asked, give me a love for your word that I don't have. I've never had that. And wow. you need to be careful when you ask the Lord like that because he'll show up. <laughs> yeah. And so I did. Right. I started reading. And during all of that process, I met my husband that I'm married to now. And, you know, there was a long process with that. And um, as I studied, we had opened up uh, a business. We had a cooking school and I was teaching cooking classes in, in Clear Lake, Texas, right across the street from Space Center Houston. Okay. And um, I would drive to work every day, and I would see this man on the corner that was obviously homeless, looked like he had mental problems, kind of mm. scary looking. And all during my Bible times, my quiet times in the morning, I was reading, love your neighbor as yourself, do unto mm. others, you know, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, love your neighbor. And then I was like, well, who's my neighbor? Kind of like, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like the Pharisees asked that question, like, who's my neighbor? Right. And um, re- really began to be convicted about this particular person. Mm. And he was very different from me. He was scary. He was a different color than me. He, um, I mean, it was just so bizarre that it, out of all of the people because I was even volunteering with the homeless ministry at that time. Oh, wow. Nobody grabbed my attention the way that he did. Hmm. And I kept going, well, Lord, what am I supposed to do with that? And so over the course of several years, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, two weeks, the Lord just was working on me and working on me. And um, so, yeah, so finally one day I said, okay, fine, Lord. But it wasn't sweetly. It was more like I slammed my hands on my <laughs> steering wheel and was like, fine. <laughs> it's still small voice sometimes. It's so loud. Uh, oh, wow. So that was the beginning. I always say that's the backstory to the beginning of the story. Okay. So I want to oh, get to that, what that conversation looked like or when you, when you stopped mm-hmm. and you actually approached this guy for the first time. But first... You, you kind of illuminated this idea, like this season of your life that was a, a really dark night of the soul for you, mm-hmm. where you were mm-hmm. wrestling with some things personally. I mean, you left your your kids, left your husband, yeah. you're alone in this apartment. Um, I know you alluded to the fact that you believed everything in your head, but it wasn't, it didn't travel the 18 inches to your heart. Mm-hmm. What, what do you feel like drove you to that place? What, as you're looking back on it and as you're uncovering kind of like, oh, wow, this is what kind of led me to that space of just kind of tra- abandoning everything and giving up on mm-hmm. it. Um, what was it? What, what, what ended up driving you there? I don't know. Hmm. I, I've asked myself that question so many times and I, and I, I struggle with the whole idea of, I understood everything on paper Yeah, and it seemed good, but I didn't want to give up myself my selfishness, my um, mm. desire to do things my own way, my jealousy, my anger, my um, criticism of other people being a big, you know, hypocrite. And, and um, you know, all of those things that Jesus says, you know, you, you come follow me and you're going to be like me. And I was like, well, I like the idea of following you and I like the idea of spending eternity with you, but I don't like the idea of changing myself mm. so that I look more like you because... I liked, I liked criticizing and I liked, uh, 
you know, being kind of judgmental. I mean, I did. I was such an ugly person on the inside. It was just, um, I didn't want to give up anything to follow him, but I liked the idea of, of the, of the, um, spending eternity with him. But, you know, someone pointed out to me, they said, you can't really say that you want to spend eternity with Christ if you're not willing to spend it with him right now. Mm. Like if you don't have the desire to be like him now, do wow. you really think you're going to be happy if he, you get to spend eternity with him? And I was kind of like, I never thought about it that way. Wow. And I didn't. Wow. I wasn't willing to give up any. I just want what you have for me, but I'm not willing to give anything up. That was yeah. kind of my attitude. And yep. um, and and I do ask myself the question a lot is like, Lord, why did I have to go through all that? Why did I have to hurt so many people, devastated my husband, devastated my kids and my family and his family and all these? Was I really that hard headed that mm. I had to do all of that to get where I am today, where I really see who you are? Like, the, you know, those are some of the hard questions I ask myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I, I came back and came around, but... um you know, there's people in my life that whose faith was absolutely destroyed because of mm. what I did. But wow. then I think, you know, the Lord can use all of those circumstances to accomplish His yeah. purposes. Yeah. Ginger, I was um, speaking at a church this past Sunday and a man came up to me afterwards and he said, um, it was like this guy was just philosophizing, didn't have any kind of introduction, nothing. He just kind of looked at me. He goes, <laughs> a lot of people are asking the question and I'm like, um, hi, you know, hi, my name's Davey. Like, yeah, but, right. But he just goes, a lot of people are asking the question, how do I get into heaven? And I think they should be asking the question, how do I get heaven into me? Mm-hmm. And this is what you're talking about Amen. right here. This is this idea of like, about. you know, what is, I mean, you just mentioned it. That yeah. what, how do we expect that we're going to be fulfilled in heaven if we're not getting to know Jesus and becoming more like him mm-hmm. right here on earth and then bringing God's kingdom mm-hmm. to earth? Um, yeah. now you had this in, well, your year for years, you're driving around, you're seeing the same homeless man and you decide mm-hmm. to have a conversation with him at that point in the timeline, clarify for me, had you come back okay. to your family? Had you come back to the Lord already? I had come back to the Lord. Okay. Yes. And I had, I had really been studying my Bible. I had already for two years just, and you know, I asked the Lord to let me love his word and I became obsessed with it. And, um, I continue to ask him that every day, just what does it mean to look like you and, and like, give me a list. Like, what do I need to give up? What do I need to change? I, you know, because I knew that the other way was the wrong way. That was a Jesus in name only. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want the bumper sticker on my car and the t-shirt. Like, like I want to, I want to live it. I want to wear it. I want to be it. So mm-hmm. how do I do that? How do I do that? And he kept putting this guy in front of me. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of where I was. He kept going, it's over there. And I was like, no, but what else you got? Like, is Isn't there, so is, you know, can I pick from a card? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like it's, you know, we, so many times we're like, Hey God, I want to get to know you more. I want to understand you full more fully. I want to know you more deeply. And usually his response is just that he's like, okay, well, um, love them. Yeah. You know, get, get to know that person right there. And through that, through that relationship, I'm going to reveal to you more of my own character and nature. It's Mm -hmm. like, God, uh, providentially has us in relationships with other people and other people who are not like us to show us a more, a fuller picture of who he is. That's amazing. And you know, it is true. And you know, that's the other thing I think in our culture where we live, we just want, like, we want a pill to fix it, or we Mm -hmm. want to, you know what I'm saying? We want the easy way, but you know, Christ's way wasn't the easy way. Yeah. It's not. And he says that all along, you know, if you're going to follow me, then it's not going to be the easy thing. And, but I really think, you know, it's kind of like, it's that whole, it's that whole picture that the apostle Paul has of you're running this race and you're training and you're doing, you know, somebody who wants to be in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll kill themselves to make it to their goal. They'll get up early. They'll, they'll leave food. They'll train. They'll do all these. They'll, they'll put family events aside. I mean, it's all about that. Well, you know, following Christ, it's that same thing. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's that all in this and it's not easy and it requires of us. And, uh, you know, I, the, I personally, that's the part I'd really love to skip, yeah. but knowing what I know now, uh, I'm like, okay, now what else you got? Like, this is awesome <laughs> because God shows up. Yeah. Wow. It's great. 
Okay, so tell me about this first conversation with this guy. Well, his name is Victor. Okay. Which uh, I, I um, he was at a very, very busy intersection. And I always tell people, I'm like, please don't pick up homeless people and put them in your car. You need to understand. <laughs> like I, I, that first day I stopped, um, I you did, Ginger. In, you violated like the, the cardinal rule right here. You know, like this is. This really is like, I know, right? wait a minute, what are you doing right now? Anyways. <laughs> you know, literally, my daughter, she was 19 at the time. She goes, Mom, he could have shanked you in the eye and just killed you. And I was like, well, okay, he could have. But I wasn't thinking that at the point. But he, um, so, you know, it was at a very, very, very busy intersection. And that was really one of the reasons why I felt safe stopping. Because it was like the cars everywhere. Mm. And he lived literally at the corner. He would sleep sometimes at night with his foot hanging off the curb into the street. Um, it was just mm. weird. So anyway, I round the corner, I pull into the parking lot behind him. And it was the funniest thing because he like, turned around and just looked at me almost like he had been waiting for me. I don't mm. know how else to say it. It just, the look on his face was like, finally, it was weird. And, um, and so I pulled up and he had severe, severe, I could tell OCD. So he couldn't mm. just walk to my car. He had to kneel down, touch a light pole, turn around, touch my car. I mean, it took him forever just to get to the door of my car. And he was so very, very tall, very, very skinny. Um, you know, hair was everywhere, scraggly beard, uh, torn up clothes. Um, you know, and he's six foot three, mm-hmm. this gigantic you know, dark skinned man. And I'm just like, mm, hey, this could be good or bad. And I rolled my window down. He walks up to me and sticks out his hand. He goes, hi, I'm Victor. How are you? Hmm. And I was like, hi. Like, I mean, it was just so uh, weird, you know, just very like a normal greeting. Like yeah. we were in the supermarket. Hmm. And um, yeah. And so that was, that was the first day. And I just said, is there anything I can do for you? Like, I'm thinking I could give him five bucks I'm going, okay, Lord, this is not so hard. I'll get him a hamburger. It will be good. Yeah. Um, and he didn't want anything. Hmm. He just, he didn't want anything from me. He just said, um, but how are you? Are you okay? And I was like, well, I'm fine. And uh, yeah. And so then I kind of talked to him for a few minutes. I said, you sure you don't want any money? And he didn't want any money from me. And um, I said, well, I guess it was good seeing you. And he looks me right in the face and he goes, when are you coming back? Hmm. And that was when I knew that I was in trouble because I didn't really have any intention of coming back. Right. <laughs> like I thought I had thought I had done my due diligence and I was done. Yeah. And uh, I was like, well, I guess I can come back tomorrow. And so needless to say, he asked me that question every time. And so sometimes I would bring him something. Sometimes I would just get a Starbucks and go sit with him on the corner. We would watch the cars and hang out for about six months. Really? Just getting to know each other, being friends. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was crazy. What were your conversations like? I mean, what, what did this, how did this relationship begin to develop then as you're sitting there? Yeah, he had, he is, he was severely mentally ill. Mm. And so some days there wasn't a lot of conversation. Okay. Sometimes he would just sit there. Um, other times he would talk about the clouds and the stars and the sky and not make sense. And then other times he would be really clear and he would tell me about his family and um, ask me questions about, you know, what did I do? And, and uh, sometimes we would talk about the cars going by. And uh, so he had he had been on the street in our area for about 10 years. And wow. um, yeah, and sometimes I would go there and there would be like food on the ground and blankets and, you know, umbrellas if it was raining. People in my community just totally took care of him to the best of their ability right there where he was. Yeah. And so... Um, yeah, I mean, we would just chat. And sometimes I would tell him like, you know, I owned a cooking school and he would want to know what we were cooking or what were the people like? Were they nice? He always asked, were the people nice? Um, very kind, very kind hmm. and very gentle he was. Yeah. Well, at some point, you it doesn't just stop at you having conversations with him on the curb. At some point, you kind of no. take a next step. Talk to me about that next step and what, what, yeah. what, what inspired you to do that. Yeah. Well, you know, then my son, who was 16 at the time, you know, he would ride back and forth to school. So we would see Victor and he, and he would go, mom, you've got to do like, do something. Cause he, I had stopped with him and he had met my son and, and he would go, well, mom, you need to do something. You know, he's still living outside. And I was like, well, okay. So I called the police first and they said, I said, look, I'm calling. I know this is weird. There's this man on the corner. They were like, yes, that's Victor. We know exactly who that is, ma'am. We can't, we can't help him basically. 
They said he's yeah. not hurting himself or anybody else and we can't do anything. Mm. And so uh, then I called social services and uh, they couldn't help me because I wasn't a family member. And, and uh, there were no shelters that took only men uh, in mm. our area. And so, I mean, you know, after all that, I was stumped. And so uh, eventually my son said, why don't we make a Facebook page? Because lots of people drive by there every day. And I was kind of thinking like, maybe a psychiatrist would see it or a doctor or, you know, mm. somebody, it was in a real professional area. And I kept thinking, well, surely since so many people help him, you know, maybe that would be um, something good to do. And so I did, and I shared it on my page and on my business page, and uh, it blew up. And um, wow. there were so many people that sent me messages saying, I've been praying for him. We've, we've given him sandwiches. We've done all this. Like, whatever you need, we'll help you. But it was kind of like, you you make it happen, lady. Mm -hmm. you know. And I was like, Lord, I don't want to be in charge mm -hmm. of all this. But finally, I just said, okay, <laughs> you know. Obviously, Lord, I'm supposed to spearhead this whole this whole thing. And so, uh, yeah, so that's where we started. Wow. Okay, so, you know, right now as we're talking, I am thinking about the handful of homeless people that I see on the corners of the normal routes that I drive, right? And I'm thinking about like, you know, I did some homeless ministry in college and we went out, we would go and just kind of, um, quote unquote canvas downtown. Now we wouldn't pass anything mm -hmm. out, but we would just spread out. We'd just start, you know, interacting with people randomly. And so many times we'd interact with homeless people because they'd approach us and they'd say, they'd ask for something. And, and I had kind of developed this philosophy of, okay, I'm never going to give them money, but I'll give them mm -hmm. food, you know? And I think to some extent, everybody begins to develop a philosophy around sure. what, how do we interact with someone who is homeless? And of course, mm -hmm. there's so many different situations and so many different contexts around people's lives that put them in that kind of a situation where they don't have a home. But as mm -hmm. you're doing this, I mean, what was your philosophy? How did that evolve as, as you're, I mean, you said you're working in a homeless shelter and now you're beginning to help this homeless guy out. Talk mm -hmm. to me a little bit about like your philosophy and your theology and how all this was kind of changing mm -hmm. and morphing in the process of this. Well, when I started, you know, I would say back in my old life, right before I really came to know who the Lord was, my philosophy was get a job, mm. like get away from my car and get a job. What? You're lazy. Why are you on the street? It's ridiculous. There, there's no reason for no one to be working. Mm. So compassionate I was. <laughs> um, and, and then, um, you know, working at the homeless ministry, what happened was, is I really got to know some people. And it, it started because I had this cooking school. I would have food left over, so I would donate it. And the lady mm -hmm. that was part of that ministry became a very dear friend of mine. And so I would go sometimes at lunch and just hang out and I got to know the people mm. and I would, I would be like, what's your story, man? What, like, why are you here? What happened? And, you know, I mean, there were people with felonies, there were drug addicts, there were people that, you know, were married to somebody and their spouse ran off with all their money. And, and I mean, just a million different stories. And I, it began to give me some perspective that not everybody was lazy. And there were mm. some people on the street that wanted to be there and had no desire to do anything beyond what they were doing. There were some who desperately wanted help. And so every single story looked different to me. And it just really, it's putting, it's, it's building those relationships where you're getting to know people and seeing that everybody's mm -hmm. different. And, and I'll tell you, when I started with Victor, my friend who ran that shelter, she said, do not get personally involved because her conviction mm. was she fix she feeds them lunch every day and does a devotional. Right. And she said, you know, I used to try to dive into everybody's life deeply. You can't do that. It's, you know, it takes too much out of you. And so all along she kept going, get him to social services. Don't, don't put him in your car. Don't, don't get personally mm. involved. And I kept going, okay, yeah, I'm not, you know, I know. Right. And so, um, yeah, it was just, um, so my philosophy was definitely changing. And, you know, it's still, I, you know, I don't, I, every time I drive by a homeless person now, I don't have a desire to put them in my car and bring them mm. home. And, you know, I had somebody say, introduce me. I was speaking somewhere. They introduced me and she has such a heart for the homeless. And I said, you know, I got up and I said, I really don't have a heart for the homeless. I have mm. a heart for, for people mm. because, you know, there's a rich lady living down the street that is in every bit of need as Victor was. And we wow. don't always see it. 
Yeah. You know, it, it, what yeah. the outside looks like, it doesn't matter. It's, it's what's on the inside. And so, um, you know, it just dep- it varies. Sometimes I roll down the window and say, hey, I just want you to know, I want to know your name. I want you to know I'm praying for you and I love you. Sometimes I'll get out of my car and give a hug. And sometimes I don't roll my window down mm. and it's okay. But I always pray. I always pray for people. I'm like, Lord, yeah. is this something I need to, you know, is this something I need to get involved with? Yes or no? Okay, well then send the person whose job it is. So, yeah. Hmm. I want to interrupt this amazing interview for just a few seconds to let you know about our Pain to Purpose video series. You may have heard us talk about it before, but if not, this is a video series we created to help you step-by-step as you navigate a tragedy, trial, or transition in your life. In the videos, I discuss practical ways to work through your pain, no matter the category it falls under, and how to find both meaning and purpose through it. We believe this video series can have a profound impact on you or a loved one. This can be a great resource if you lead a small group for your church or if you're looking for personal direction for your own life or if you have a friend in mind you think could use some help navigating a valley. If you fall into any of these categories and are interested in learning more or purchasing today, head to MyPainToPurposePlan.com. That's MyPainToPurposePlan.com. Now back to our conversation. Well, so in this situation, you're spearheading this like Facebook campaign. You're highly personally mm-hmm. involved. And then you actually, at some point, did you, you brought Victor into your own home, right? Yeah. Well, um, initially, um, initially he came and spent the night with us because it was really rainy, okay. cold night. And so I told my husband, I was like, look, I know this sounds insane, but do you think he just like one night, could he spend the night here? And so we blew up the air mattress and he slept in the living room. And it was literally, I hadn't known him. Well, it had been six months, but I had never had him in my car. I had right. you know, I'd just been with him on the corner. And so we like locked the door and go to bed and we pulled up the covers and I was like, well, I hope we see him each other in the morning. Like, I don't know how this is going to work out. Wow. Um, but, you know, Victor slept, I think, 18 hours that day. He was exhausted. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and we just, it was just one of those things. We just knew that it was the right thing to do. And so um, after that, he wanted to go back to the corner where he where he stayed all the time. Hmm. And so we took him back, and I was like, okay, well, now he spent the night with us. Now I'm not, I'm really not okay with him sleeping outside. Hmm. And so um, through the Facebook page, we started to GoFundMe. And people started to donate money. And so then we kind of made the decision. We said, I want to put him in a hotel room to see if he is going to be able to take care of himself at all. Like yeah. we wanted, it was kind of a test to see, um, was he going to be able to uh, clean up after himself, you know, heat up something in the microwave to eat, mm-hmm. keep himself clean. I mean, we just didn't know. And so he was there for about three months. And uh, did well, and somebody in the community gave him a job at a burger joint, wiping tables. Just, I mean, hmm. he didn't even have a piece of ID. It's just this community we lived in; they were, people were phenomenal. And um, and somebody gave him a bike, and he would ride to work. But he kept migrating back to that corner where he had been standing, and hmm. um, and so finally, we kind of got to the point where it was like he he was very lonely because he's such a social person. Yeah, and so we just. Uh, you know, eventually my husband said, you know, I think it would be best if he would come stay with us. And I was Mm. like, and that was the Lord because I had been praying saying, okay, now I'm not going to ask this of my husband because that's a lot. Yeah. And it was him that came and said, I just really feel like this is what we need to do. It's pretty cool. My husband's a rock star. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's, um, yeah, it's inspiring. That's, uh, a little bit scary. I mean, imagine, I mean, people listening to this right now, every single person, imagine just inviting a, I mean, he's not a stranger to you at this point, but you still don't know a whole lot about him. You don't know exactly what's going on. A strange person to live in your house. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially someone that we would, you know, that you may profile someone who has been, you know, on on the streets, living homeless, you're lots of questions about it. Like, well, could he, could he take something? Like, could he use this opportunity Mm -hmm. to take advantage of us? Like, 
what does this look like? And you guys decide to step in and say, hey, no, let's invite them into our home. How did that, how did that impact you? Because I'm sure you're kind of like, well, we're thinking about this, how, how it's going to impact Victor and how it's going to help him and how it's going to, but we mm-hmm. all know, I mean, if you've grew up in church, you go on missions trip, trips, you think you're going to impact sure. the people that you go and minister to, exactly. you walk away and you've been profoundly impacted. And you're like, that changed mm-hmm. my life more than I changed their life, you know? I'm sure, oh, the sure. Same, yeah. I'm sure the same has been for you guys. Talk to me a little bit about yeah. that. You know, that I will say it's probably been, and I kind of laugh about it now because I was talking about earlier how what a selfish person I was. Mm. And there is uh, nothing that teaches you selflessness more than taking in someone who need, has a massive amount of need. Mm. And all of a sudden, my life became not my own. And it was very much about him. And it was... Um, I didn't get to sit at the table and read my Bible and have my coffee every morning. And I had to get up and take him to work. And we spent all day at the Social Security office and, you know, trying to get his driver's license and ID and get him a job and taking him to doctor's appointments. And 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 my life became very much not about myself wow. and began to shed a really bright spotlight on all of the areas, you know, where where I thought I was doing so well. And the Lord was like, oh no, there's there, we're we're peeling the onion now. And <laughs> and uh and it wasn't always pretty, you know. Wow. And um I was an only child growing up and so I was very much used to having my own way and doing what I wanted to do. And um, you know, it, it was just it was all about that. And I really began to see that the more I was able to serve him, the less it became about me, the more it became about Christ, the more I needed to lean on him to ask for, to ask for help and wisdom and guidance and strength and, and, you know, rip out of me all of these things that are so deeply rooted that I never even really a hundred percent understood that. Yeah. And, um, and my husband, I mean, we'll say to this day, both of us, it was the best thing that the Lord could have ever done to teach us not to be so self-centered. Wow. I was I was just reading the other day. I love A.W. Tozer uh-huh. and the pursuit of God. And he talks mm-hmm. about um, how, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, the, the veil was torn in the temple, giving us access to Christ. And, he, and Tozer wrote, but so many times we put that veil back up and our, the veil is self. Mm. And self keeps us from Christ. Wow. And I was like, Ooh, that was painful, yeah. you know, even after all this time. And so, um, yeah, I would still say even today, I'm like, Lord, you have to show, like shine that light, keep shining the light on, on the self stuff. Cause it's, it's so destructive. Yeah. Wow. You, you mentioned that before you guys took Victor in, he, he would, you know, he had, he had a, he had a job, he's flipping, you know, flipping burgers. He's got a, He's got a bike. He's able to get to his job, able to commute. But he and he had an apartment, or he was living there for a few months, and he kept going back to the corner. I'm curious: mm-hmm. is was this because it was just familiarity? It was it. What was? What do you think was behind him going back to that place, um, even though he had some of these opportunities yeah. that were unveiling mm-hmm. before him? Definitely for him, it was familiarity, and um, you know. He, he would always say, that's where I meet my friends. And anyone who had huh. ever spoken to him, he considers to be a friend. You know, anyone who had ever given him a sandwich or a coat. He and his mother actually had lived not far from there in an apartment. Yeah. And they lost their apartment. And um, he would kind of hang out there sometimes. And uh, he, would, he tended to roam around town just with his, in the state that he was in. And, um, so his, his mother had said, well, you just hang out there and I'll be back. Well, you know, it had been several years and he never saw her again. And so he was very adamant that she'll know where I am if I hang out there. So Mm. he was, he gets kind of fixated on things or he did then not so much anymore, but very fixated on that idea that I have to be there. And, um, you know, finally it was one day it was raining and he had this, this Carhartt, one of those zip up, you know, like work suits that was real warm and I had washed it and I brought it to him and he's literally like, you have to have this picture in this head. He's got size 13 feet with his tennis shoes on and he's trying to put on this Carhartt thing and he's got his hand on my head. I'm bending over trying to get his foot in the thing and he's hopping and I stood up and threw it down. I said, that is it. I've had it. You're done with this corner. Like I was just, it was enough. Yeah. So that was one of my funniest memories of where I was like, okay, I'm putting my foot down, man. This is enough. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Um, this is, you know, it's, you, you, you referenced this idea of like spending an entire day in social security office, trying to get them an ID, trying to get them, you know, I feel like in our lives, especially in American culture, we are so constantly on the run, on the go, con- consistently mm-hmm. responding to things, have our own agendas. I mean, uh, if you're, <laughs> hello, if you're not like looking at your phone while you're driving, you at least have something else mm-hmm. on your mind while you're driving. You're not noticing things sure. around you. You've got, um, you had a different approach at that point. I mean, it seems like you're just kind of, you, you stepped away from some busyness to just be aware and open to these opportunities that God has for you. Um, how, mm. h- how would you comment on that in regards to um, maybe as Christians, how we have filled up our lives and we're not able to respond to some of the needs that are in our world? Yeah, that's a convicting thought. And, you know, and at that point, I mean, I was still, I had both my kids. I was going back and forth with them. I, I was running a business full time, um, working a lot of hours. And I just, I had to really pray about that and say, help me see what the priority is, mm. you know? And I, I mean, I was burning the candle at both ends. It wasn't easy, but right. it's that I, I have, my, I ran into recently my old high school principal at my, at my Christian school. And she said, Ginger, you have to think about the narrow road and all this other stuff that we bring along in our life. It's not going to fit with us. Mm. You know what I mean? And yep. it's like, and all of those things, it's just distractions. And, and you know, I have to go, is, is, is going to this baseball game or doing this fun thing or doing an outing or whatever it is for myself, is, does that have any kingdom value? I really started mm. looking at things in my life going, what's the value? Like, does anybody know Christ because I did this? Am I edified in my, I mean, I really, I want my life to be about my relationship with Christ. Like, that's my number one thing. And all the other stuff, if it doesn't fit in yeah. with that, I just started weeding. I started weeding my flower beds and started getting rid mm. of all that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was, uh, I, that's why I love all the imagery, you know, in the scriptures where it uses like planting and reaping and sowing because I love like gardening and all of those outside things. And it, so to me, every time I'm like, oh, Lord, thank you for painting an example in there. That means so much to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, how long did Victor? He's still, uh, he's with, still with us, and it's been almost wow. three and a half years. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, actually, I, w- I will tell you a little secret. So we moved. It, it really is. It's like it just happened. Is we um, lived in Houston, and then just in the last eight months, we've moved out to this farm. And I had said, this was just a, go- a cool thing. I had said at the very beginning, my dream for Victor is, is I know he'll never be able to be on his own. My dream is to have a place where he could have like a tiny house mm. on our property. And so my son was graduating from high school and my husband says, um, I found this piece of property. We need to go look at it. And I was like, oh, I'm up for a road trip. Let's go. Well, long story short, we bought it like that day. We were not, I, I still had a business in Houston. We still had a house. Like, I don't know what we were thinking, but we just knew that it was the right thing. And it had a little tiny 350 square foot tiny house on the property. Hmm. And so when we moved here, Victor moved with us and he moved into his own house. Wow. And so um, he lived there for eight months. And just a week ago, because I, I, we had always said, he's, he's just going to always have to be with us. And, you know, I think it was just the mom and me. It's like, I need to keep him close. And I was, he, he works in town, which is 20 minutes away. So I was driving him to and from work every yeah. day since we've moved here, it, which was a lot. And um, I was driving down the road and I saw this little house and I thought, oh, well, that's so cute. I'm going to call. I don't know. Hmm. I called, left a message, forgot about it. And the guy calls me back and it's this, it's like um, a two bedroom, one bath, a little 1940s house that he completely gutted and redone. And I thought, oh gosh, the rent's going to be a million dollars. And it wasn't. And then (laughs) I kind of told him the story about Victor and he goes, man, I want to help you. I'm going to knock 200 bucks off the rent every month. And so my, my little Victor just moved out and he's like for real on his own with a, um, a roommate now in town, actually with a high school classmate of mine wow. that was kind of had fallen on some bad times. It's like, God just, he shows wow. up. Well, what kind of progress have you seen in, in Victor's life? Now I know you, you referenced that he's got some mental disabilities as mm-hmm. well, that that plays a huge factor into mm-hmm. this, but, um, what kind yeah. of progress or improvement did you see, you know, because you guys were able to step in and, and intersect him in this in this space. He's not that he's not like the same person. 
Hmm. Yeah, he's not like the same person. I mean, God has done so much healing um, just in his um, in his mental state. Um, he works a full time job now. He works he works at Burger King and he flips the burgers. And he tells me all the time. He goes, "You don't understand. I have the most important job there. If I wasn't there, there would just be bun and lettuce. It would be bad." I was like, "So true." I never thought about that. He has such a good. I know, right? He has such a good attitude. But yeah, I mean, he like we said from the beginning, like he's never going to be able to live on his own. He just is not going to be able to. He's just not going to be able to do. It. He is living on his own. He gets up every day, takes himself to work, makes wow. his own food, keeps his house clean, washes his clothes. Like just it, the miraculous lives in my house. Like wow. I just, he is a walking, talking answer to prayer. Even it's, it's that whole scripture. I always go back to God can do infinitely more than we can ever ask or hope or imagine. That's right. And wow. I mean, and, and I say all the time, like, I, ha- I can touch Victor, touch him, and just say, you are such an answer to prayer. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so based on, like, what you have experienced and what you guys have been living, how, you know, if you're sitting in front of a group of people and, you know, they come from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different philosophies on interacting with people who are not like them. Let's not just qualify mm-hmm. it as homeless people, but, like, sure. hey, uh, how, you know, how should we interact with our neighbor? The question you were asking at the very beginning, who is my neighbor and how do we love them? What would you tell people? How would you advise them or teach them based on the things that you've learned over the past several years? Hey, this is who your neighbor is and this is how mm-hmm. you should interact with them. I can give you a really good example, actually, not too proud of. You know, if, if a person is living and breathing and functioning, they're our neighbor. Human mm. beings are our neighbors. Like we don't, we don't get to qualify who our neighbor is. It is other people. Yeah. And I, and, and this is so true. So the other day, and I'm so not proud of this, but I'm going to share it. Cause I think the Lord really taught me something with it is so we live on this property and it's a whole long story. Anyway, I had an altercation with my neighbor last week and I like yelled at him and I was really mean to him because he was doing something to our property. Right. <laughs> so I yelled it. And as soon as I turned around to walk away, the Holy spirit was going, really, really, that's how you act. That's how you represent my name. Okay. So by the time I got to the house, I was like, Lord, I'm so, I know I need to apologize to him. So I turned around and I went back of course he was gone. Yeah. And we were, we, the next morning I was up reading my Bible and I was like, Lord, please give me, it was a Sunday. Please give me an opportunity to say, I'm sorry. And so we're driving, we go down this long dirt road and he's turning in as we're leaving. And I told my husband, it's like, stop the car. And I said, roll up the window. You don't want to hear this. So I go up to this man's truck and he's like, he's got this look on his face. Like, here's the crazy lady, (laughs) you know? And I went up to him and I said, I need to tell you something. I am a Christian and my behavior was absolutely wrong. Mm. And I want to please ask you to forgive me. I am so sorry. I treated you that way, talked to you that way, disrespected you. I said, you are my neighbor and Jesus Mm. commands that I love you. And I am so sorry. And, you know, he could have spit in my face and said, well, all you Christians are all the same, but God was gracious and he allowed him to be able to receive that. And I said, I promise you, I'm going to be the best neighbor ever. And But, you know, the Lord uses those opportunities, right? right? So this man doesn't know Christ. Right. Okay, so what if he had walked into my church on his own someday, and mm. I hadn't apologized, and he said, yeah, that's that lady that lives by me. She says she's a Christian. And mm. so it, it, it that was such a reminder to me, like, everybody is my like my people to the left and to the right and up and down my street and at the grocery store. It doesn't matter. Right. But I know that when the Lord puts it on your heart, you better do something with it because he can, it, he's, he'll change your life because of it. Right. Wow. But you, but you have to be careful because he'll, if you ask him, he'll do it. You need to, you know, <laughs> it's not always what you expect. <laughs> this is, you are a living, breathing example of if you ask him, he's going to make it happen in your life and he's going to send you on a very interesting journey. Um, For sure. But a very healing one at that. And you mentioned uh, mm-hmm. off air about the, this, the redemption and how this has been a very mm-hmm. redemptive aspect of you know, your story, okay. especially at the very beginning, we talked a little bit about kind of this dark place mm-hmm. that you went to. Um, dive into that a little bit. How has this been a redemptive thing for you? How has this been a healing thing for you personally? 
for me personally, you know what it is? It's, um, I always look at that parallel between Victor being on the street, right? So he was in this bad place. You know, I was allowed to be able to help him and kind of get out of this and to get to a place where he could function. And in, and that's what I feel like the Lord did to me. Like I was in this really bad place, you know, and he picked me up and he restored me. And it was, it was never condemning. It was, mm. it was loving. It was gentle. It was kind, painful mm. as I was getting rid of the things in my life that didn't please the Lord. But it's just that um, his willingness to walk through it with you, he doesn't come to you and say, you need to clean that up. And when you mm. get it done, you let me know so I can use you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's that restoring all along the way. And in the, in the, in the hard and the difficulty and the crying um, you know, just, um, it's that gentle wooing and restoration. And any time yeah. that I started to feel guilty about my past, I always knew that wasn't from the Lord because he doesn't come and rub your face in it and be like, well, you did all these things. Yeah. He's not like that. You know, he says, I forgive you. And you look back and you use that as a stone of remembrance of where you came from and let it keep mm. you humble and aware. So you never go back. But to condemn you, no, because you're forgiven. And that's wow. that that gracious love that he has for us. Yep. Wow. Man, that's awesome. That's so awesome. I think it's just really cool because, you know, Scripture talks about in James, uh, religion that is pure, which is a funny phrase. It's always, you know, that phraseology has baffled me because, you know, mm -hmm. growing, growing up in church, going to youth camps, youth groups, everybody's talking. It's not religion, it's relationship. The brother of mm -hmm. Jesus, James, says religion that is pure. So let me tell you about how to get it from your head mm -hmm. to your heart right here. Mm -hmm. and, and it basically says, look after orphans and widows. Look after the people who cannot look after themselves. Um, yep. That's the context. And so nowadays we have other people who would qualify as or orphans and widows, but that was their context then. Victor is one of those. Victor was one sure. of those that could not look after himself. Mm -hmm. And what you did, and it's awesome. I love the fact, I mean, looking at it from like a 30,000 foot per perspective in hindsight now yeah. in your story, it's like, well, uh -huh. of course this is what God does, right? You're wrestling <laughs> with right. this, you know, religiosity. You don't really mm -hmm. feel it in your heart. And he's like, okay, well, here's religion that is pure. Um, mm -hmm. Go help that person right there. And let's get the, let's yeah. let that thing get deep, deep, deep into your heart, and then God takes you on this really redemptive healing journey that turns around and heals mm -hmm. somebody else as well in the process. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, is it I just know. like God to do yeah. that? Yep, I know. He just <laughs> he blows my mind all the time. I'm just like. I could, I, that was one of the things I had to learn to let go of is I was always wanting to be like in control of my situation and figuring things out and how yeah. am I going to do? And and then I was kind of like, you know, I just want to get on the roller coaster and let, you know, let's yeah. this, this thing go where it will it will. Wow. And, you know, when you, when you let go and you allow him to do his work, mm -hmm. he will blow your mind I mean, I, I still, I sometimes look at my husband and say, I cannot believe that we got to see, I mean, there's so, there's a million things about the story that nobody else, like he moved into this house last week and he called me and he got, oh no, I called to check on him. I was like, it's been like six hours. I was a little bit worried what's he going to do for dinner. And I called him, I said, okay, are you okay? Where did you get, I'm, I'm at the grocery store. I'm shopping. I went to God ice cream earlier. I was like, and for us, it was huge. It was wow. huge. And I was just like, God is so good. He's at the grocery store. Like, wow. Yeah. Amazing. Man. Well, Ginger, this, I mean, you have inspired me. Now I'm sitting here and I'm going, okay, I drive a route to go get my car washed. There's a man who's sitting on the street. Every single time I drive this route, every single time he's sitting right there on the corner. Next time I am going to roll down the window and I'm just going to ask him, hey, is there anything I can do for you? And, mm -hmm. and and I, I, you have just kind of like opened up my heart. And I know that you've done that to the listeners who are listening to this right now, because you've just given us a different perspective on some of these like, you know, definite lines or stakes that we've drawn on the ground because of, you know, life and how it's jaded us and how maybe we've seen someone take advantage of the system or whatever it is. And yet mm -hmm. at this, you know, in this situation, I'm so inspired to mm -hmm. reach across those lines and go, hey, this is my neighbor. Let's, yeah. let's just have it. Let's start a conversation. Let's interact. Let's see where it goes. And let's see what God does with this. Wow. Yeah. 
you know, what's cool about it is I always tell people, I'm like, now homeless people can be scary. If you feel like that's too much, you can start small. <laughs> I said, if you said, what about the grumpy checker at Walmart? <laughs> the one that has the really grumpy face, like, like yep. looking and going, is, can I just say a prayer for you mm. or what's your name or how's your day? You know, I mean, start small, little steps. Man. The Lord will take you where you need to go. Yeah. Wow. That's so great. And much needed where I live in the Midwest. I'm telling you, it's different than the South and the Midwest. It's like a lot of grumpy faces going on sometimes in the Midwest. Really? I Well, I Aww. moved from the South. South's like, you talk to everybody. You're just like, you know, oh, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? You walk through the grocery store. Mm-hmm. I was in college. Yeah. I was living in Grand Rapids, Michigan for the summer. And I walked into a Meyer grocery store and I started saying, I'm like, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? And people were like. <laughs> so. So imagine if you're living in the Midwest, I'm talking to you right now. Yeah. Imagine what kind of light you can there shine. You imagine what kind of days you, you can lift, what kind of just hope you can speak into people if you're just kind and polite and right? be a neighbor, be a neighbor. That's Ginger, right. this has been an awesome right. conversation. Uh, the book is called Kinda Like Grace. And so I want to encourage everybody to go pick this up, to read it. It's an awesome, awesome uh, story. And... Uh, Ginger, what, how can people follow what you guys are doing? What's, what's next for you guys? What do you guys like get into right now? What's like your, other than the farm, uh, you know, know, are you guys, are you, are you writing some more or what's happening? Well, you know, I'm kind of in this season where I keep going, Lord, I don't really know what's next. And I just keep getting from him study. So Mm. I don't know what that means. So I'm studying. But, um, you know, right now we're um, promoting the book. And actually a cool thing about it is, is we're donating the royalties from the sale of the book to buy a tiny house for someone who's homeless. There's, there's a community that builds tiny houses. And so uh, my hope and goal and prayer is that we can uh, earn enough money to do that. So Victor can take the check and, you know, let him be able to be the person who does that. Oh my gosh. That, that's amazing. So you guys heard that. Let's get on the bandwagon. Let's help the Sprouses do this. Let's help Victor. Let's help whoever this recipient is going to be. That'd be really awesome. Ginger, thank you so much for this conversation. This has just been an honor. Thank you. For me too. Davey, what a great interview with Ginger. Super inspiring. Um, Super inspiring. I, yeah, I think I was so encouraged by um, just her eyes. Like she saw somebody and Mm. she didn't just have sympathy, but she had compassion. And I've always heard like sympathy, like your heart breaks for them, but compassion like actually produces action. And the fact that she spearheaded that Facebook campaign for him, mm-hmm. that she invited her him into her home, um, even just like sitting on a curb and, and bringing Starbucks to somebody that could benefit her, you know, in no way whatsoever. But, um, but she saw him and, um, and loved him how I really think that Jesus yeah. would have had he been at that corner. Yeah. And it wasn't really, it wasn't like calculated, you know, in the sense that I, I just get inspired by people who are like, you know, this doesn't make a lot of sense and I haven't really thought through the ramifications of this, but here we go. Let's just do it because this is what Jesus tells us to do. You know, like yeah. when he says, love your neighbor, literally he's saying that do this right here. We were, yeah. we were doing our devos around the table, uh, the breakfast table. We do it every morning with our kids Monday through Friday. And we were reading through that devotional book. And just the other day, the good Samaritan story came up. So we got to have a conversation with our kids about like, mm. Who's your neighbor? You know, who, like, who are we supposed to be kind to? And even just being able to break that out in an elementary level, you know, this really like uh, early development stages of our kids' life to be able to talk through, how do you just be kind to people, even people who are different than you, people that other people ostracize or that they leave out? Um, how, how, how do you, how do you help those who are marginalized? It's just a, mm. it's so inspiring. And I'm just so, so glad that uh, Ginger you know, shared that with us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that she's still a part of his story. You yeah. know, like she's, she's like a mama that bird still done. like right. he's left the nest, but she's still <laughs> concerned and connected. I know. It's so great. Well, listen, you're traveling right now through the holiday season and I don't know about you, but I'm always putting podcasts on while I'm traveling Me and uh, it's just a <laughs> great way to pass the time. So maybe this is a time for you to catch up on some of the old nothing is wasted podcast episodes that you haven't been able to uh, definitely do that. But also I would encourage you while you're at it, because you're listening to podcasts, 
other people in your life are listening to podcasts as well. Would you just take a moment? Would you share this with those people, especially people you think or know might be going through a rough time and could hear some of this hope in your headphones, uh, hear some of this encouragement. I can't tell you how much we have heard story after story after story. Uh, Many of them are your stories that you've submitted in, that you've fed back to us about how this podcast has met you at exactly the time you needed it. I mean, like Mm -hmm. intersected you. And I'm going to tell you right now, what you don't know is that before we do every interview, we pray and we ask God to do just that. that you would listen to this podcast for the first time at exactly the moment that you needed to, at exactly the moment that God providentially um, set up a date with destiny for, for, for him to rush in and meet you in your time of need. And so it's so encouraging to hear that that's happening. I would just encourage you to share that with other people so that you can be an agent to help that happen in someone else's life. Yeah, for sure. I I love when I know somebody's going through something. I always think of a podcast episode that we've had and I'm like, oh, this would be so good for where you're at. And I will just send it to them. So anyway, um, before we head out, sign off today, we just want to thank Ryan O'Neill from Sleeping at Last, who has provided all of the amazing music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. We so, so appreciate you. And we are big fans of you. And I'm sure that if you listen to them. You are too. But if you haven't, um, check them out. Go find them wherever music can be streamed. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. And so um, before we head out today, um, here's a clip of Davey's interview with Kevin Chandler. I have never really known life without uh, a disability. Um, However, with it being progressive, there have been seasons in my life where the progression has been more uh, more extreme, more mm-hmm. noticeable. Uh, I remember like around ninth grade, um, I just was, was becoming a lot weaker and mm-hmm. needed a chance to rest like during the day. And um, in uh, seventh grade, I, I broke my right arm and, and because of that, uh, the atrophy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I had my arm in a sling for so many weeks and right. in a growth spurt and the atrophy just kind of kicked in. And so, oh, wow. you know, as a result, my right arm wasn't really useful. And yeah. so there were like seasons throughout my life where there was, um, I would say the the frustration was kind of yeah. augmented um, by the situation. Um, mm. And in those times, I think um, kind of, clung to uh the hope of christ Mm -hmm. you know that it's like uh, a lot of people get angry and kind of turn on on god in that moment and um uh, for me it was more like well you're the only consistent thing right now you know 